Our online stock is upstairs. Uh, I see. Yeah. So we keep our online stock separate from our store stock. Okay. It's, uh, well, you logistically, don't it just works out because otherwise, you know, with a shop this size, things get wandering off into different sections, and then you can't complete an order, and then you lose your ratings. And, yeah. Uh, I find that ratings are important. Okay, so <clears throat> Marvin Post is the proprietor of Attic Books in London, Ontario, Canada, one of the largest secondhand bookstores in Canada. Welcome to the Bibliophile. Thank you. Why are you one of the largest bookstores in Canada? Uh, I have a lot of trouble saying no when it comes to buying. I noticed that. I've just I've just dumped a whole bunch of books on you. Um, <laughs> Thank so, you. Yeah, I like buying large quantities. I like buying. Um, that's the fun part of the business. And is what seeing is, what come it, in the door. It's it's the adventure in terms of what comes into the door. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So and then I buy sort of related material, a lot of ephemera, which is interesting in a lot of different ways. Like what ways? Well, it's like photographs. Like I bought some photographs yesterday of um, Corfu, and it's hand-colored photographs of people in costume, uh, native costume, uh, around 1890. Like Greek native? Yeah. 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 So it's, you know, like that's fun. Yeah. And, you know, like doing the research is, is, is quite interesting. So yeah, well, buying is typically pretty fun. It is. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. selling is well, the tough part, I guess. It is. Well, you know that. <laughs> you you have a tr trouble selling some of the the books that you've bought because you become somewhat emotionally attached to it. Yeah, it's wrenching. It is. But uh, space requirements—that's one thing, I guess. The other thing is. Over time, you just sort of get interested in different different subject areas, and you you want to shift that and uh, and space is always a problem. Yeah, even with seventeen thousand square feet, I have space problems. Uh huh. Not in the retail part because I insist on not having it cluttered and piled up, and uh, I just find that that shopping experience is not something that I like. You like it to be clean and uh, organized? Yeah. Yeah, you want to know where it is when you're looking for something? Yeah, and I'm, you know, I'm totally disorganized. I, I have multiple desks with heaps and piles, and I spend a lot of time looking for stuff that I've misplaced, but the store can't be that way. Okay, so we talked about buying, the fact that you buy a lot of stuff. Yes. And the store is well organized. That's the staff. That's the uh, staff doing that. That's the staff. Like, yeah. I know what my limitations are. My staff is the group that looks after keeping things organized and on track. Okay. Well, why else are you successful? I buy. Uh, if, if you don't buy, you're not successful. A lot of people, when they call me up, they've had another dealer in, and the other dealer wants three books out of uh, out of 150 out of 150 or 2000 books right and they know that they can sell those three books within a reasonable length of time or they've had them and 
the problem with that is one, there's no adventure left for the dealer. The other is that there are no, like, like there are sometimes quite nice surprises, like a book that you didn't think was worth a great deal. All of a sudden, you do your research and you find, yes, it is quite a, a good book, and I didn't recognize it as such. Yeah. So I buy in all categories. If you're a specialist in, you know, the Bloomsbury Group, then you should know everything there is to know about the Bloomsbury Group and which books are important and which books, you know, are fairly common. So I tend to buy in every subject matter. Uh, some subjects are easier to sell than others. I find that religious books are a little tough to sell these days, but then you look at the number of religious bookshops that have closed, and of all of the independent bookshop categories, I'd say that that subcategory has probably been hit harder than anyone. But they were also starting to get into a lot of the related kitsch, you know, the, you know, the crucifixes Statues and, and yeah. yeah, you know, like the, the BVMs and Blessed Virgin Mary, mm -hmm. uh, that sort of thing. So they, they were getting a lot more into the, the regalia of, of the religion. Mm -hmm. And um, that's just not where the market's been going. So what does sell then? A lot less than what used to. Why is that? I think that there's just so many more books available and people are downsizing. Like our generation, you know, people in, uh, who still have uh, parents around or have recently passed away know that when they downsize, it makes you reflect on your own situation and you're going, I need to downsize because I don't want to be doing this to my kids. And I hear that so often these days. So you have a double cohort mm -hmm. of people downsizing. Uh, some of them it's because of estates or moving into a nursing home. And then the next generation because they're going, we don't want to do this to our kids. And kids these days, well, kids, you know, people in their 20s and 30s, they're minimalists. They're either living in an apartment and they don't have much space or they live in one of these big homes which have very little usable space. It, it's amazing how little usable space some of them have. And everything's on, on credit, you know. The, the house has got a mortgage, the two cars in the laneway both have loans, the furniture's on, on, on loans. So books are way down the priority list. Right. You know, yeah. like you buy that with a credit card, you know, which is another form of debt that a lot of them have. So a mm -hmm. lot of them have oh, rather substantial debt, including, you know, the debt for, for their education, which, mm -hmm. um, I mean, our generation did not go through that kind of debt load. No. So that's explaining in part why they don't sell, books right. don't sell. But you're doing really well, so... I'm doing well because I keep things moving, so... Uh, if a book has been on the shelf for more than a year, it gets half price put into the basement. So I have fresh stock that's on the shelves. It's a large store, but it still has a lot of fresh stock. It looks different than the last time you came in. So if I come in three weeks from now, it'll look different? A little different. If yeah. you came in three months from now, a lot more. And, okay. you know, some people come by once a year. And if they go into a shop and they see... 
pretty much the same shelf of books of the, of their subject interest. They're right, not yeah. going to come next year. Yeah. They're they're going to say, well, I could come in three or four years. And once that thought comes into play, then they generally never show up again, mm-hmm. unless they're doing a nostalgia trip, which I guess happens, but not often enough to make it viable for business. Okay, so it's turnover that's that's it's doing it turnover. for you, and you yeah. have to make a lot of mistakes to do turnover. People are so afraid of making mistakes. I make mistakes all the time, as my first wife would gladly attest to. <laughs> Not your second wife, though. Um, well, I'm still married to the first one, but I live with my girlfriend. So okay. <laughs> everyone's a lot happier. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, in fact, I like it when you make mistakes. Yeah. Well... If you, the pricing pricing mistake, not the I don't want you to buy stuff and not be able to sell it, right? But if you price it really low by mistake, I love that, right? You know, and then my mistakes that I make in the other direction, well, that takes care of itself by by the turnover, by by pushing it through the basement and then the sale carts, and I'll go out and look at the sale cart every once in a while, and it breaks my heart. You know, I paid twenty bucks for that book. And it's still sitting there at a buck. Yeah. And no one's picked it up. But that's rare, right? That's well, not... that's that's unusual. But then you also go, well, wait a minute. I bought 50 books at the time. And uh, 10% of them are out here in the cart. And, you know, hopefully I've sold more than half at full price. And, you know, close to another quarter of, of them I've sold at a discounted price. So, you know, in the end... Worrying about small mistakes is is actually a bigger mistake. Yeah, you just want the turnover. Right. Uh, well, you have to have the turnover. But if if you worry about making mistakes too much, then then you you freeze. Yeah. You know, do do I cross the road? Do I not cross the road? Halfway through, you're you're going well. Should I cross or should I go back? That's basically when you get hit. Is when when you freeze. Well, the other thing too, just as someone who brings my books into a bookseller, I I'm kind of, I came back here because I, you you did a really good job the first time I came in. I brought a ton of books and I got I was happy with uh, with what you gave me in trade. Right. Uh, so I brought uh, another batch of books down, and it, I think they're pretty good books. Yeah. And I think they'll sell. They're good quality. That's you know. We haven't done the math yet this time around, but it's. I think it's about uh, it's about the fact that I'm getting a fair shake. That's why I came back. I felt, and I trust you. Right, and the trade is always an attractive feature because I like the trade because it saves my cash flow. I don't need to make a profit both buying and selling. I'm not. I'm not a bank. Like if you took in. $100 US to the bank and you cashed it in for Canadian, uh, they take about 3% as their cut. And then later in the day, if you wanted the $100 back because all of a sudden you need the $100 US back, you go in, they charge you another 3%. So they make 6% on the difference and they hate it when you you point that out, that they the spread is actually 6%, it's not 3%. They say it's 3%. But another thing that I'm happy about is, and what I, what I want to do business with you, is it precisely because of your turnover. I'm able to come and have a look at your, online at least, 
uh, at your stock, and I do that probably every three months or so. And there's there's new stuff that's interesting to me there every time I look. And that's a function of, of what you're talking about. Right. And I, I've viewed the online business as a totally separate business in some respects. Mm -hmm. It shares the same space, but I keep my online inventory separate. And the dynamics of online are quite different. So, well, like this book of Negroes, for instance. Yeah. It's available online at a fairly low price, first edition in dust jacket. I have too many copies of it, and I wouldn't put it online because, for me, it's just not worth it. Uh, I sell between 5 and 10% of what I have online in a year. 5 to 10% of the stock you've got online is what you sell. That's online. all. Online. Right. So, so the, the dynamics of what's online is so different than what's in the store. So in the store, I don't have to worry about shipping costs. I find that a $100 book here is a $100 book in the States, and it's 100 pounds in Britain, and it's 100 euros in France. So it's, the, the number is the same, but it doesn't really translate into the exchange rates unless you're talking serious books, like a $100,000 book, then it makes a difference. Then Sorry, I'm, not, I'm missing this. Is you talking about in the store or online? In the, in the store, it's it's a hundred. Hundred Canadian, whereas yeah. it would be a hundred U.S. in this similar so, store in the state. So my online stock, if it's a hundred dollars, it's a hundred dollars U.S. plus mm -hmm. the shipping, which I like to keep the shipping price the same. So if it's if it's a big heavy book, then I edge the price up a little bit, but I still want to be competitive. Mm -hmm. And if it's a big set and it's going to be too much for shipping, then I don't even bother putting it online. And yeah. Then it's just store stock, and if it sells, it sells. If it doesn't, it moves on. But sets are really tough. I like having things that no one else has online, so it's, it's, it's got to be unusual. It's got to be price competitive, including the shipping, because the default on most of the sites now is lowest total price. So that includes the shipping. So somebody who has this book for $3 online but charges $50 for shipping, and there are a lot of dealers in the States who are now charging $50 U.S. to ship to Canada because they don't want to ship to Canada. What percentage of your business online is, 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 contributes to the, the total? It's about 10%. And it's it's edging up a little bit, but it's, like everyone points out, it's the fastest growing segment. But it's still a small segment. You know? So it's really people coming into your store and buying directly. That's, that's the main business. And that's 90% of your business. Well, I also sell at two antique malls, and that's a different business again. Mm -hmm. And I also sell at shows. And each yeah. show is... is quite different and it was really brought home to me when I was on the second floor in London years ago and I moved to the ground floor and what sold changed sometimes quite dramatically within certain categories because all of a sudden I had clients for for that. Just coming off the street? Just coming off the street so you can move down one floor and who shows up? is different than when you were on the second floor. Every time you move up a step, 
you lose business. I found that out the hard way. <laughs> My first tour was on the third floor with no no elevator, so it was it was pretty slow in terms of business. But I'm, you know, I learned a lot. You but you've been in the business for forty years. Forty two years. Yeah. Still like it. I still love it. I love it. <laughs> you know. But it's it's a totally different business. That's the uh, steam heat. That's the what? Steam heat. The clanking. Is the oh, that's not someone doing that? That's a machine no. that's doing that? It's The steam is piped along in pipes and goes through my reds. And then, so I don't have a furnace or a boiler or anything like that on premises. It's, okay. Yeah. And you own this. That's another key to your success, I think we it, suggested. It is. I own the building. So... Um, in five years, the rent usually goes up. I had a landlord that didn't bother fixing the roof years ago and uh, wouldn't do anything for ma maintaining the building. And so like, those costs are on you anyways. Mm -hmm. Like if the landlord fixed the roof, he'd be charging me that much more in rent. So you're gonna make a mortgage, uh, you're gonna make payments on a mortgage, whether it's yours or someone else's, that's up to you. So commercial real estate can be a little tough to get into at, at the beginning, but if you time it, which I did with, with this place. Yeah, didn't the mayor kind of suggest or invite you to come to the, check this place out? The mayor uh, was after me to come back downtown uh, because downtown was pretty rough in the, uh, the 90s. Mm -hmm. Is and that the elevator, by the way? That's the elevator. Okay. Yes, that <laughs> sounds like... <laughs> we get everything on this. This will pick everything up. Yeah. yeah. But it, it, it gives us a chance to say that you bought a building with an elevator, which is bonus. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so when I looked, I had lots of choice. The prices were really good. Yeah. When was that? Uh, 96. Okay. So... So you just have to sort of, as you say, time your purchase. Time the purchase. You buy it on a dip. Mm -hmm. um, when I bought the building, it was a leap of faith. But you had a lot of sort of, a, with the mayor, you had a lot of people who wanted you to do well. Oh, yeah. 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 And um, like two months after I opened, they closed the street off for road construction, uh, which... Was <laughs> they're doing that of, again too, aren't they? They're doing that again next year. So, yeah, but yeah. The next year it's actually going to be much more intensive than it was 22 years ago. What shows do you participate in? Um, I used to do a number of antique shows, but I've I've stopped doing them. Um, they're worse than the book shows in terms of declining business. So I do the Toronto Antiquarian Book Fair. I do the Toronto Old Paper Show. I do postcard shows. These are ephemera. That's ephemera. They old. That's ephemera. Yeah. I do an old camera show, and I show up with photographs and books and some cameras. Anything else? Um, you do anything? Do you do anything in the states or no? I don't do any in the states. It's just too much of a, a challenge in terms of border crossings. Yes, that's. How does that work? Do they oh, like? What do they do? They just say, do they try and charge you tax or? duty or something when you go well, across? Well, it's, it's 
if you make the mistake and say that you're working over there doing a book fair, then then immigration gets involved and that's, yeah. Yeah. they'll send you back. So, you know, you have to be careful about how you say things at the border. Mm. Um, you can't lie, and no. you certainly can't get caught at a lie, because if you get caught at a lie, then, then things um, are pretty rough, and they, they'll send you back, or arrest you. You know, the, the U.S. border guys, they, they uh, pack big sidearms, <laughs> so they're, they're a little intimidating. Yeah, When yeah. you come into Canada, they don't pack sidearms, but they kill you with paperwork. That's typically Canadian, I guess, isn't yes. it, compared to the States. Yeah. What about you yourself? Uh, you talked to me uh, just earlier about, uh, about rhinoceroses that you're kind of interested in. Yeah, I like rhinos. You collect rhinos? or? Yeah, I've got a small collection. Of, of what, prints? Uh, a few prints, um, a few, like, animals, like the footstool in the in our living room at home is, <laughs> is a rhino. <laughs> so okay. it's just, you know, it's, I don't know, for some reason I relate to them. You know, they're, yeah. they're a nice, peaceful animal. Sure are. Except for when you get them mad and then yeah. then they just lower their head and charge. <laughs> they got thick skin. And they've got a thick skin. What's the favorite part of the business? We, I think we touched on it, but what's your favorite part of this business? I think it's the, a lot of it's the people, you know, meeting the interesting people. Collectors, you mean? Or? Collectors, people selling, people why they sell, and, and, you know, like it's the interaction with, with people and, and mm. you know, someone finding a book that they, they've been looking for for 50 years and, and finding it. And yeah. not saying, well, it's $20, and I don't want to spend $20 on it. You know, like that can be a little frustrating sometimes. I've, I've looked for this book for all of my life, and, and I don't want to pay that kind of money. Well, you know it's a scarce book. So, But it's the idea of, of helping people to in, the, in, their, in their passionate search for things, I guess. Right, and it's letting people find things that they didn't know existed. So being of service, in a way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, my my favorite is to do house calls. A lot of um, antique dealers and book dealers don't like doing house calls, aren't comfortable doing them. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah, I like doing them. Um, you find out why people are selling them. You know, this is part of it's been handed down in the family, and you know it just collects dust at this point. Or um, you know, sometimes it's it's I need to sell them to put bread on the table. Yeah, and so very human stories. It's very human stories. And what's the least favorite part? The least favorite part is the HR department, the uh, hiring and firing. Uh, okay. And occasionally it's the firing. I like the employees I have right now. And how many do you have altogether? I've got eight right now. Okay. Um, a year ago, I think I had twelve. Again, is that a sign of the amount that you're selling, or just the fact that you're, these are more efficient, these people? Or uh, I had projects that needed doing. So oh, okay. when I bought the building 22 years ago, I also bought, a year later, 17 van loads of books printed before 1800. You know, and a van load generally is between a ton and two ton. So That's you do buy? I do buy. And I was still dealing with some of that stuff, and it was still, you know, there to be priced. So I've now pretty much finished with all of the stuff that I bought from, it was an institutional purchase, 
Sure. So, and I have lots of backlog of stuff I haven't priced and. <laughs> well, no. you've, got a, you've got a ton of stuff in storage, right? I have. Um, right now, I've got two storage units. I just finished emptying one storage unit. Okay. Yeah. This is kind of a, a fuzzy question, but you, I, I'm interested in areas, good areas to collect in. Uh, now, of course, the the first the first response to that is you collect what you love. But are are there any areas that you see that uh, would be really neat and fun to to collect in that uh, that you know it's a reasonable price to to go after these things? Well, a lot of it's reasonably priced now. If you collect, you should collect in something you love, of course. But mm -hmm. If you love what you do in terms of a career, then you have an advantage. So if you're a geologist and you collect books on geology or a related field, so exploration, for instance, is, is quite often a, something that geologists collect. I know space, uh, space exploration is very popular too, eh? Right. So, but if you're like a computer geek, Early books on computers are now starting to get very, very strong prices and have been for the last 15 or 20 years. But I think that there's still a long ways to go with, with some of that. And it's a field where there is some serious money in terms of the collectors. Yeah, because it's the high-tech people, right? Right. So if, if you like car books, okay, so unless you're... Um, Jay Leno, um, and you don't worry too much about finances, you know, car books are quite a reasonable area to collect in. I just bought a collection last year of someone who collected books where it involved traveling by car. So they were travel books from 1900 to 1930, and the, the theme was where the people would drive in a car. I just noticed your shirt with the skulls on it. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Little skulls. Little skulls. They're yeah. very subtle. Yeah. Uh, you're saying about uh, the traveling by car, and that, and you know what's so neat, of course, is that you know the car just came. The car just came in in what, like around 1900 or right or yeah late so, 1800s. So you know they talk about you know like changing the tire rather. Frequently, I mean, now we have CAA. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, that used to be quite a, you know, you wouldn't go 50 miles in a car and not have to change a tire. Right. In right. the early days, you know, that whole aspect of it has changed a lot. Mm -hmm. What about an area that used to be expensive but it's not expensive anymore? Is medical books. A lot of medical books are now a lot less money than they were 25 years ago. So doctors have lots of money. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are interested in the history of medicine. A lot of those collections are now coming up. And it's the key books that are still going up in, in value. It's, it's a lot like stamps, um, which is what I got into f before books. So mm. when I got into stamps, they used to say, well, stamps have never gone down in value. But you could see the bottom end of the market was starting to soften up. Now the mid-range and even the lower high-end stuff is not selling for what it used to. 
Stamps. Stamps. Right. But the very top end things, so they're they're usually guys. Uh, and the ones that are left are in their 80s and 90s. They, they've got the money, and it's been on their bucket list for their whole life to buy the 12-penny black Canadian. So the price on it just keeps going up. Because the demand is still there, right? The demand is really strong. The people have the money. They've wanted to buy it their whole life. And well, their kids at that point are in their 60s and 70s. Yeah. And they're they're doing fine, so you don't have to worry about, you know, looking after the kids. And you've wanted it your whole life. And, you know, one shows up at an auction, you're going to go after it. And you're going to go after it hard. So the same thing's happening with medical books, you're saying? With medical books, yeah. Hmm. That's um, like illustrated medical books, or...? Illustrated medical books are still a lot stronger than than like biographies of Osler, for instance. Mm. And I still deal in medical books. Like I've dealt in medical books fairly early on because no one else seemed to be doing much of that other than, well, Robert Campbell came into doing medical books. Um, he's in Montreal, right? In Montreal, and now he's you know he's not as active as he once was because of health issues. You know, he no longer has a store. Mm -hmm. So when you no longer have a store, you still have your client base, but you can't sell your client the second copy of a standard book. Mm -hmm. And because there are a lot of the new doctors aren't collecting yet. Uh, yes. They're still dealing with, yeah. with rather substantial debt. It tends to be a demographic thing. So if you look at things that your cohorts are collecting, if you're young, you buy the best and figure on selling it to them when you're in your 60s and 70s because that's when they will want the key things in graphic novels, for instance. This is a bit of a long-term uh, proposition, isn't it? If you're, if you're collecting to invest, that's what you need to do. And if you are even more mercenary, you would start collecting the things that your kids collect if you're in your 30s. So, you know, people start developing their own interests when they're in their teens and 20s. So collecting comic books, for instance, that whole market developed starting in the 50s and is really coming up now with with some incredibly high prices. <laughs> and then it's the condition. So condition, mm -hmm. condition, condition. Like the first Batman, you know, like gets phenomenal money at auction. The difference in price between one with, with you know, like a slightly faded cover or a slightly rolled spine and one that's pristine, it's a factor of 10. Well, is that same thing hold true for books? It does to some extent, but sometimes people want things just for the content. And that's the thing that a lot of dealers who sell only to collectors miss, is that there, there are two separate distinct groups, and there's, there's an overlap. So you have people who want to read a good book, and then you have the people who collect the first editions. And sometimes you can get the reader to start collecting the first editions. If they love the book that much, yeah. yeah. And some of the collectors will never read their books. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty. 
<laughs> you know, they'll buy a reading copy of of of, of a book because, yeah. um, and then sometimes when they start to read it, they go, "Well, I don't understand what the fuss is about this," mm-hmm. and then they'll mm-hmm. dump that collection. The worst thing you can do is collect to your parents' generation. So, authors that are really collectible in your parents' time. Yeah, but what happens if you love them, like I love Huxley? Well, that's different. You love Huxley, and Huxley is is still well thought of. Mm. Yeah, they have to hold their reputation, I guess. They have to hold their reputation. Yeah. But... Um, Eudora Welty? Oh, Faulkner. yeah. Faulkner. Right. You know, anyone who's tried to read Faulkner <laughs> gives up. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, except for the academics. Well, except for the academics, you know. Like, Faulkner has written a great sentence. Like, some of his novels are one sentence long. And, okay, so that was... That was pretty new and startling at the time. So you're saying he's nowhere near as popular as he was? Or he's got a, still, as, still got a good reputation? Still got a good reputation, he's, but he's, he's one of the great unreadables. Yeah. Uh, Ulysses, on the other hand, yeah. is still an important book. It's still a difficult read. But it rewards reading. It rewards reading, whereas Faulkner, not so much. I would agree with that, but that's taste as much as anything. Part of it's taste, but part of it is is the hook. So Ulysses was a 24-hour period of someone who went to a lot of bars. Yeah. <laughs> In between uh, masturbating, then then he went well, to the bar. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, like yeah. like there's a lot of vices involved. So yeah. um, Faulkner doesn't deal with vices so much, and okay. uh, so it's a lot less human. But again, you're saying his, his the price of his books has gone down over the years? It, it's a lot softer than it was. The people who collected him are now selling. Yes, and so, so they're glut, glut in the market. Supply and demand. I see. You know, a lot of books that were sold as being hard to get 30 years ago, well, now online you go and you go, there's 80 copies available. Yeah, it's not rare. It's not rare at all. But it, it can also mislead you in the other direction in that it's not rare right now because the demographic that's selling you know like it it's a group of people who who are all downsizing or or going to nursing homes or so it's in other words it's a good time to buy Faulkner if 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 you think that his work is exactly valuable and good yeah yeah yeah. okay um but you don't want to buy ones that are less than pristine. So you no. want to buy the nicest copy available. Collecting and investing are... They are tied. There's a really... There's a tie, but they're different. They're, they are different, but they're... Uh, for, for me, anyway, any, you know, if I'm going to put money into a collection, I want to think that I'm going to get my money back at least. Right. So buying the best you possibly can from an investment strategy yeah. is probably the best. It, it's the genres that, that get hard, hit hardest. So uh, the mysteries were, were really big 20 years ago, so now it's not so much. But the, within that, there are certain authors that are still very collectible. 
Like who? Stephen, um, Stephen King? Stephen King. Now, Lee Child is a great read. Will he be a great read in 30 years? Probably not. Just because he'll be dated and... Uh, it dates. Yeah. Although, if certain... Uh, uh, it's, it's really hard to know, though, in terms of, of, of which ones will date. Yeah, no, it's a bit of a crapshoot, but that's why you've got to go with what you love. Right. Then you don't regret. And it's like investing in anything else. You know, like you're going to score big on 10% of what you buy. 25 to 40% is going to be a complete bust. And then there's the stuff that you'll do okay on. But you hope that the ones that you do really well on... Compensate for the rest. Compensate yeah. for all of the rest. So you've priced, you've seen and priced a ton of books. How many yes. books do you think you've seen and priced in your life? Well, I probably have, uh, you know, one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand books in the inventory, mm -hmm. and I turn it over. So I've seen millions and millions of books. Yeah. Now I was talking to Stephen Fowler on Monday when he was buying books for his bibliomat machine. Ah, yes. Because he's got, it's, it's a challenge finding enough stock for it. So, This is at the monkey's paw? That's the monkey's paw. And um, he started off working for a number of different booksellers in San Francisco. So he has a different take on, on how the business is run. One, he's much more American, and I've been called fairly American for Canadian booksellers because... <laughs> I, but you mean you stalk American I, writers? I'm, I'm, no, I'm more aggressive in terms of... Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, that's yeah. good. That's why uh, you're successful. Well, fairly successful. I'm, I mean, I'm not incredibly rich, but I enjoy my life. Exactly. And I find that that's, that's success. more important yeah. than, than having lots of dollars. Because five minutes after I'm dead, I'm as rich as Warren Buffett. Yeah. Five minutes after yeah, he's you're dead. Yeah, e equal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's how you live your life. So in that regards, I'm I'm incredibly rich, and it's not all about the money. But Stephen Fowler was saying that he worked for a guy who had a contract with the Goodwills. The stuff that they didn't put in their store, they would put in dumpsters, and they would go through the dumpsters, and the stuff that they didn't want went back into dumpsters. But they would root through piles and piles of books. You know, it's pretty hard on the books that way. Mm -hmm. Now, now the uh, the standard is a Gaylord, which is uh, a four foot by four foot by four foot cardboard box with a skid on the bottom. Yeah, I don't understand. That that's how places like Goodwill move books. They put them into these boxes. Boxes, and they get distributed sometimes to paper wholesalers and sometimes to people who go through them and try and find the treasures. I see, okay. And then the stuff that gets um, cycled through their store. And that's why you don't find uh, antiquarian books very often. At, you don't, no, it's, it's, you do, you do, you, you well, know. On occasion. And, and that's why you go there, but, uh, but you can it's find, already being screened pretty pretty severely then. But you can find, you know, like nice first editions of, of good authors, and you can find some great stuff sometimes. Yeah. Um, well, let's look at uh, the fact that you know what to pay for a book. 
although you've said you make mistakes, you know what to pay for a book, right. and you know what to charge for a book. Right. So why don't we turn now to some of the books that I've brought in, and just maybe what we'll do is sort of listen in to your internal voice. Okay. Uh, your instinctive thought process when it comes to, to some of these books, and we can be as long or short or on each of them as you like. Okay. All right, so Lonesome Dove was a really popular book and got a really good second wind when the movie came out because the movie was almost as good as the book. When did the book come out? In the late 70s, early 80s? 85. The movie came out, I think, about 10 years later. And in terms of movie history, it's it's a good movie. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, you also look at the amount of stuff that's being cranked out. Yeah. Both in terms of fiction and in terms of movies. Is the, When the movie comes out, is that when the best time to sell your copy of that book or not? Uh, that, that is a, a really good time. So w Within like six months of it coming out. Correct. But like movies, sometimes it takes a while for them to catch on. You know, okay. Like they don't come out of the gate hard and fast. Right. Uh, the other so you wait until, obviously, there's a lot of buzz about it, and maybe it's nominated for Academy Award. or Yeah, so, yeah. and then that's that's sort of a, like a, another kick at it in terms of, of strengthening the market. Okay, so and what do you think about that book in terms of uh, how, much, how much you can sell it for, how much you're willing to pay for it? Okay, so I'd sell that book now for about $25. A first edition? First edition. Seriously, seriously. Because I've seen it, I've seen it online for for several three or four or five hundred. Correct. Uh, now it would be worth a lot more if it was signed. So currently, there are seventy-eight first editions of Lonesome Dove available on ABE. Okay. Um, and they start at twenty dollars. Isn't that funny? I thought they were a lot more than that. Signed. They're three hundred dollars to nineteen hundred dollars. Big difference, eh? Big difference. And uh, part of that is going to be, like, the condition. So, it, like, this one's in nice condition. Yeah. It's not... Um, not fine, fine. Super no. crisp, clean copy. It's been read once or twice. So it's very good, would you say? Very good, very good? Yeah. And the first one refers to the book, and the second very good refers to the dust jacket. Yeah. So the Book of Negroes... Oh, and, and that would be a store item. Yeah, not online. I, I don't put anything under $35 online anymore because it really doesn't. If that's your only business, then, yeah, you have to do that. But it's really not economical. Um, so the Book of Negroes is a first edition, and I'd say it's fine, fine condition. But I've got a number of copies on, of it, and it wouldn't be for online. So I don't need any more copies of it for the store. Earlier you had commented about Margaret Atwood's um, Handmaid's Tale, which has the movie and the TV show, so like there's a fair amount of demand for it. So first edition of that goes for 75 to $100. This one was the second, and it will sell faster at $20 than the first would at 75 because people are interested in the topic. Mm -hmm. So... When there's a lot of excitement about a book, then then it's a lot easier to sell, and then that strengthens the price. Ten years ago, the uh, 
Handmaid's Tale would not, it was a tough sell. It's not a happy book. No, no. It's not a happy show or a movie either. No, no, no. miserable. Yeah. But it's, it's trending, as they say now. So the $20 book will sell a lot quicker than, than the $75 or $100 first edition will. What about signed? How much did that bump it up to? Margaret Atwood signs a lot. If it was signed, it would go for about $40 for, for the second edition, about 125 to 150 for the first edition. But she, did, she does sign a lot. So That's why she invented the long pen. Exactly. <laughs> Which to save her arm. Nowhere. <laughs> went nowhere, no. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Quite frankly, it isn't all that new an invention. There's there was something called an auto pen, uh, which you learn when you do autographs. Um, so an auto pen. Uh, John, JFK, John F. Kennedy, had seven of them going, and so you would sign once, and it would copy that signature exactly, or parts of it. So you could do John Fitzgerald Kennedy, J.F. Kennedy. John F. Kennedy. You could you could alter the machine to to do different things. So he had he had seven of them going. So an autograph by John F. Kennedy is likely to be suspect. So it needs to be written in the same pen to someone to make it that much more authentic. And authentic signatures are becoming much more important. There are a lot of fake signatures out there. Uh, especially in sports and entertainment. And it got so bad that California passed a law that if you sold something that was autographed and it was not a real signature and on eBay um, in sports and entertainment they figure between 70 and 90 percent of it is fake. Goodness, okay. How do you determine uh, that it's not fake? Well, usually you, you, can, you can tell. You know, you look at authentic signatures and you look and you go <clears throat> well, that's that's kind of dicey. And then with sports and entertainment, I just wash my hands of it. I don't do much of that. So, but if you sold a photograph that was signed by, say, Spielberg for $100 in California or to someone in California, and they came back and said, it's not authentic, you have to compensate them to the tune of 10 times of what you sold it for. And they were doing that for all autographs. Uh, this started about two years ago, so like the whole autograph market just collapsed because it's considerable risk. Then they got the law changed so that it was only for sports and entertainment, which is where the main problem is. Hmm. But if you want to get you know your sports hero and you go to one of these signings, um, they charge you like fifty bucks or a hundred bucks for a signature on a photo. You have to hand over the cash, or is it? oh yeah. yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, they'll take credit cards. Yeah, well, why not? If you, especially as if you consider that probably fifty, eighty percent of them are just going to resell it. Correct. So the the whole money aspect of of the autograph market has has changed mm -hmm. dramatically. Now mm -hmm. with books, it's it's a lot less common for yeah. for fake autograph. I don't tend to worry about it too often. And then certain authors sign a lot. The Book of Negroes 
gets signed a lot. That's why you're successful. You know these things. You don't get right. suckered into Alice buying. Alice Monroe doesn't sign this much. Okay. And her signature now, like if it's a fairly current signature, like it changes over the years. And Alice won, won the uh, Nobel. Nobel. When a book wins a prize, that's another Bump. boost for the price. Uh, when the author dies, it's a short boost for the price. And then things sort start to revert to the norm. And some authors stay popular long after they're dead, like Andy Warhol continues to, to gather steam. But the art market, again, is... That's he, crazy, yeah. You know, it, it's, it's a very strange market. There's no rhyme or reason to a lot of why things are worth money. Let's look at Out of Africa. Okay. Now, I, I was very happy when I bought that. I, th I think I paid 25 bucks for it or something like that. Yeah. And uh, and then I went online and I saw that it was worth, you know, 300 or whatever it went for. It was a, so right. what, what's, what's the story on it now? Okay. This one. So when I was first in business, I used to come across these very regularly. That was 40 years ago, though. That was 40 years ago. Okay. And it was nothing special. Yeah. And then the movie bumped it up quite a bit and then people started reading it and it's I haven't read it yeah. uh, but it's supposed to be like a, a fairly good read yeah. as opposed to some of them who are just very pedantic or or obscure beyond belief or just boring yeah you know and quite often they can be all of them <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst thing you can call a book is boring yes so and then it now it comes down to condition. So, like, you know, the dust jacket is quite nice on it. It's a little frayed at the, the top and the bottom of the spine. That's pretty normal. There's some yellowing on the, on the thing. Uh, covers a few spots. Um, it's a nice-looking flamingo on the cover. And it's got a nice-looking <laughs> flamingo on the right on the yeah on, on on the book cover. Yeah. So, I think of it more as. Like it's going to sell more along the lines of about a hundred to hundred and fifty dollars. And what's your policy about what you would pay for that? Do uh, you have a like? Do you do you want to make that public? Oh sure. Yeah. Uh, so I usually pay about a quarter of what I would try and sell it for. Um, so that covers the difference. Covers the overhead. Yeah. The it, fact that you're going to have it sitting in your inventory for and, however long. You know, like all of a sudden the market gets flooded with a lot of them. You know, like there's all these chances that you take when when you buy something like that. So, yeah. in terms of risk and reward, that's that's what I look at. Yeah. Now, if it's something that I know that I can sell much more quickly, I'm much more willing to pay percentage-wise more. Like what, for example, out of this group here, if there's anything. There probably isn't. Well, okay, yes, Walt Whitman, Specimen mm. Days. It's a bit of an unusual title. It's a first Scottish edition, mm -hmm. which is a bit of a minus. Uh, people yeah. would prefer the first American edition. So this is going to be probably about a $200 book. Easy to sell? You, I guess you won't know. You don't know. It's going to be a lot easier to sell than something where I already have a copy of it because it goes to the back of the line. So any additional copies you buy go to the back of the line. So it's going to take longer to, to sell it. So I'd be probably more inclined to pay closer to 40%.
of something like this. Something that I know I have a customer for, and you know, like it's not a, a $10 book. What about uh, Huxley? We talked about Huxley. Huxley's going to be a bit of a slow sell. Um, what about a, anything here that's going to be a fast sell? Um, nothing particularly. Mm. Uh, like I bought a copy of Alice Munro, uh, Who Do You Think You Are, yesterday, and I paid. Possibly I overpaid on it because the binding on it is, is horrible. Notoriously horrible, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The, the glue gives way and so yeah. it needs to be re-glued and I will get that done. But it was signed. Right. Uh, and it's a contemporary signature. Contemporary meaning at the time that the book was published. Yeah. Correct. Right. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's probably going to cost me $50 to get it fixed up. And I paid 25 for it. And how much are you going to sell it for? Probably 200 What about this, uh, this early edition of, uh, American edition of uh, Portrait of the Artist's Young Man by Joyce? So that's a third print. Yeah. I'd probably retail that for about 30 or $40, maybe a bit more. Is that your pricing there? I just put that in there because that's what I saw online, yeah. Yeah. I'd say that, that that's going to be one where I've made a mistake in the wrong way. And then, like, if it's substantial, then what I do is I send a check to whoever for the difference. Or if they're doing trade, then I'll say, I've added some money to your trade. Okay. That's, yeah. That's very decent. Um, and it, it's just good business. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, I, well, it's just the trust factor stays in place. It stays in place, right? So. Yeah. Now, it still wouldn't have sold a lot of copies because it was before Ulysses. Same yeah. with the Dubliners, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and um, so it's it's early in the career. So um, there probably weren't that many in each printing, the, right? The print run would have been probably 500. I think that might have been, that's the third printing, but it might have been in the same year that the first one was done. Uh, no, no uh, maybe not. 1916, 17, and then 18. Oh, yeah, okay. But it was January of 18, so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and December of 16, so, you know, within a little over a year, it, it went through three printings. So even then, it speaks to his reputation as a writer. Coming up, yeah, yeah. rising, yeah. You know, so I, I, I tend to find that online pricing is... It just gets people's expectations up when they it see does. it, doesn't it? And that it just makes it more difficult for you it, when, when it, they come it, in expecting to get more than, than you say it's worth. Yeah. And sometimes the price online is, is just a complete crock in the other direction. Um, and it's getting harder and harder to look up stuff online because they have all of the PODs, the yeah, print, yeah. print on demand. So yeah. You know, it's the clutter. You know, and then you look at the dealer. So if it's if it's some guy uh, with, without IAB. any reputation, so you yeah. know, like he he's in ABA, some, some very small town, yeah, in the middle of nowhere, obviously doesn't handle this sort of stuff. But someone who belongs to the ABAA, you, you would automatically expect that they know what they're doing, right? More so, a yeah. lot more so. Yeah. Uh, so you know, like being a member of an association is a plus. Um, and then your star ratings. I mean, I hate to say it, but the star ratings are are important. Like, I mean, uh, in terms of sorry, in terms of reliability or uh, yeah, like ABE good service. has a five star rating. So, mm -hmm. 
if you're a two-star, it means that your order completion rate is probably somewhere around 80%, and you're likely to get, get warned, and if you persist, then you get kicked off of ABE, so you can no longer sell online. Right. So if your star rating is low, if you're, um, you know, like if, if the lowest price is somebody who is not very reliable, then you can pretty much dismiss that. And then if it's someone who's got a very high rent location in New York City at the high end, because they've got a lot more overhead, mm -hmm. I would hazard that... Um, you know, like some of the big places are paying. Close oh, big, to like Bauman's. Yeah, yeah, Bauman's is paying close to a hundred thousand dollars a month in rent. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. You know, for their New York location, I think the Philadelphia location and their Vegas location is is a lot more reasonable. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, if you want to sell books to the Wall Street types, then that's what you've got to do. Mm -hmm. so, got to be there. Yeah. Yeah you don't have that kind of location, then you're not going to get that kind of price. Yeah, yeah. Um, Let's look at another uh, another book here. I want to know if that's a first edition or not. It's, right. it's got a number line, but it just looks kind of weird. So, I still like uh -huh. Yeah. for the points. Yeah, I've interviewed okay. them. You know, like, they know their stuff. Mm -hmm. um, they don't have it in here. They just have his first book, which is Black Sunday. Okay. But a lot of the books, the the first editions that they list in here, the prices have softened. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the uh, uh, Alan and Patricia Hearn collected books. You're saying that that gives you a, a, a guide, but the prices are not as not as good as they were in that well, book. Well, they were always strong yeah. in terms of their pricing. Right. Uh, strong meaning what? High. High. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that would have been for. A beautiful copy, yeah. in pristine condition, uh, not autographed, but it would have been in a superb condition with, you know, someone who wasn't in a shop that was kind of low rent. Their their shop was certainly not low rent either. I I do think that's a first edition. Yeah, there is the number line, and uh, but I, I, it's funny. There was something about it I thought, but again, for you. That makes a difference, but not a huge difference, I guess, in terms of the price you'd charge? Um, not a huge difference for a lot of them. Yeah. So what would you charge for that, uh, um, The Silence the of the Lamb? first edition of that's probably for your $50 book. And what about uh, J.G. Ballard's The Empire of the Sun? Um, it wouldn't make any difference, whether it's a first or not. Hmm. Um, and what about... Because my clientele... In the store, where in the you store do most of your sales. Does not... They don't care. They don't care. Right. Um, and it's not going to be worth enough to put it online. A lot of this stuff, you know, you've got like 40 or 50. Yeah. Um, now, I looked up the cocktail party. Yeah. Okay. So the spine's faded on it. It which, is. Which is pretty typical of it. So when I first went online, I, I do dust jacket, first edition, and 81 show up. Oh, goodness, yeah. So, but then a lot of them are dealers who will say first edition, second impression, mm -hmm. which isn't the first edition no. at all. So you eliminate most of them because at that point it starts off at $6.50 in dust jacket. 
So the first edition, the first date with, and and then this is where where this came in because mm. it's got the points collected. So the collected books. What, yeah. what you do is search within these results. Uh, it's here for her. It was that's, a, that was the point, and the point, that's the point by point you mean is that the, the specific, uh, in that case, spelling of a word shows you whether or not it's a first edition. So you put in yeah. that word in your search within the results. So then you know you're dealing with someone who knows what they're talking about. Yeah. Isn't trying to palm off like, like a seventh impression as a first edition. It mm. doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, like some of them are thinking, they're thinking that it does matter and mm. they're, they're ripping off people. Yeah. Uh, because it isn't a first edition. It's, mm -hmm. it's a seventh edition or a second edition. It's not the first. Yeah. Um, so the first date, uh, with Dust Jacket, there are uh, 21 available, and mm -hmm. it goes from $26 to $200, and then there's a couple that are, uh, there's one at $6,000, and that's James Cummins, and it's a presentation copy, and it's a special presentation copy, so it's a very special book. And if you got one in like that with, with the... The, the spine, yeah. The spine faded, so it's going to be towards the lower end of the twenty-six to two hundred dollars. If I got one in that was, you know, a, a spectacular presentation copy with without a dust jacket or with, you know, a dust jacket that that had faded like that, I would try and find the right dust jacket to marry them. To marry them. Yeah. Um, and you have to be upfront about yeah when you do that. Yeah. Um, but. You know, you can leave this dust jacket on it and put a, a, a beautiful dust jacket on it. You know, like if it's if it's worth doing, then you put it in a clamshell box. So how much would you charge for this one then? Uh, that one, I would probably put 30 bucks on it. And that's in the store? That's in the store. Okay. Yeah, it wouldn't be worth putting online. Okay. Um, and then, like some of the better books, I, I do put in the store first. Like, yeah. I like having... Good stuff. To Good be, stuff. In to, to basically reward your regular patrons, but right? But you don't want to have it there for four years. Whereas no. online, I mean, it's hard to know. Yeah. You know, like so, the 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 turnover online is is so much worse. It means slower. Very much slower. Yeah. Like, yeah. like the turn rate is is for some of these dealers, it's got to be forty or fifty years. Yeah. Before they would turn over their complete inventory. So you would yeah. sell this book three times and you would never sell this book mm, yeah. type thing. Uh, so on average you look at how often you turn over your inventory and you can force it by, by moving stuff to the sales section. Mm -hmm. um, and it may be a $500 book, but if you don't have a customer for it, <laughs> you can't eat the $500. You know, you've got to, you've got to do something so you you try and move it along by price. It used to be qu quite a bit more common for other dealers to come around and buy from dealers because they go, I've got a customer for that book. Mm, yeah. That doesn't happen very much anymore. Why is that? Because they can find them online or? No, they can find it online. Well, the demographics for dealers is also getting a lot older. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. What about that uh, George Bush, the Bush family book, the cookbook? Okay. What, what are your thoughts on that? Okay, so he just passed away. 
Yeah, I should mention it's signed by Barbara and George H.W. and the cook, so chef. The, the chef is a non-starter. Barbara Bush, eh, it's, it's nice, but and it certainly helps date the signature because Barbara passed away a while ago. But George just passed away, so he's in the news. His, his street cred is, is right up there right now. Top of mind. Yes. So two weeks ago I'd have said, you know, this is going to be a $100 book. I could probably sell it easier for $200 now. And I'm willing to pay proportionately higher now if I can sell it. Because I know I'm, I'm, I'd sell that before Christmas. Yeah, it's a perfect gift, eh? It is. Mm. Yeah, and I know someone who would buy that. Oh, do you? Yeah. Oh, that's that's great. You know, so <laughs> so who's that? Someone who collects uh, George Bush? He, uh, he's he's a political scientist. Yeah. Um, and collects he collects presidential. He collects presidential stuff. He likes autographs. Um, he likes some sort of a connection. You know, he's met Obama. He's met uh, he's met the Clintons. He's met. You know, he's met a lot of these people. I think he's met, well, he's met uh, Pierre Trudeau. Uh, I think he's met probably every prime minister. Since? Since Trudeau. Yeah. Um, and he loves his field. Yeah. So, like, yeah. Yeah. He'll, he'll be all over that. That's great. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, that's a big part of the, 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 what you're thinking is as well. It's who who have I got? And, and I, I, So how do you get a hold of all these interesting collectors so they just hear about you or how did you go after them or that's what? the thing about having a store is that you know, people come in so he's someone who came in a number of years ago and we've developed a relationship and well, you can be a bit of a hard negotiator sometimes too mm-hmm. you know so you have to sort of figure that in with you know especially if you're buying something for him and he just because he's moving he tried to sell me some, you know, the presidential papers of Lyndon Johnson and stuff like that. And I said, you know, sorry, but, you know, my only market for that was you. And he goes, well, you know, that's fair. So it'll probably get moved to his new office. Right. Yeah, and he's moving a couple of thousand miles away. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it doesn't mean you can't still do business with him, obviously. No. No, yeah. and you know, like he still has connections here in London. He will be coming to London. Just a final question. Then, how do you go about getting? Uh, is it mostly people coming in the store, and then you sort of develop a relationship? Where they ask questions, and then you say, "Okay, I'll, 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 I'll put your want lists together," or you know, keep that in mind. Or uh, yeah, it's it's people talking to people, and um, in terms of of when people go to sell, then online becomes much more important because they'll, they'll go online and they'll go, well, you know, like, who buys books? Well, I buy books. You've got a reputation. As, I, yeah. And, yeah. you know, like so... Marvin the buyer. Yeah. So, like, I advertise. So, last year, in, in the last year, I bought books in up near Port Hope, Brampton, and Brampton was... These are... You do house calls? Or house they, calls. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, like they were substantial collections. And you don't just buy three or four of their books and you know the ones... They want 
they want everything sold. So and you basically help them out that I way because because so many dealers, as you said, don't do that. They serve themselves and not their clients. Right. So they'll have had another dealer come in and say, "These are the three books I can buy, and I can pay four hundred dollars for those books." Yeah. And I'll go in and I'll say, "I can pay six hundred dollars for all of them, including those." Yeah. And occasionally. I can pay less for everything than the three books. And they'll say, you're willing to take everything? Yeah, exactly. We, it's we will, because it solves a problem. You have to look at it. You're solving a problem. Yeah. And I do house calls, and like yesterday I did one, and I ended up, the books were okay. They weren't great. Mm. Uh, the second house call I did was, was pretty much right off, but... Then I ended up buying some coins, and I bought some photographs, and I'm really happy with the photographs. Yeah, yeah, these are fun. You've mentioned them about three or four times, uh, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the nice thing about photographs is that when you do a photography show, they're easy to move. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything you want to say to, like, what you would want to say to both the, I don't know if we don't call it an industry, but the profession? And or, and or collectors out there and or book lovers have you got have you got things that you'd like to say to them have fun with it um, you know it, it should not be um, something that makes you miserable and have fun with it you mean yeah, yeah. and you know the, the money is important but it's not the most important thing what's the most important thing is, is to enjoy your life and if, if, you know, dealing with someone's estate is a problem, okay, so most of the money is going to be in the house, the real estate. That's, you know, a lot of times um, people will pay someone to clear out the house, and mm -hmm. there's great stuff. Yeah. I bought some stamps from a guy uh, this summer, and he was paid to clear out the house, and I paid him two grand for the stamps. And he was what? He was, he was one of these guys who charges to clear out a house. But the people wanted it dealt with. They didn't, you know, like, for them it was worth paying him money to clear out the house. And don't store stuff. Like these storage units, like, I'm, I'm regretting getting storage units because it's dead. You know, uh, you see the shows on TV with, uh, where they buy storage units. Mm-hmm. And you look at it and you go, well, that just paid for three months of storage. And that stuff looks like it's been there for like eight, ten years. So and what do you do with it then? What do you do with it? I don't know. We deal with it. And, you know, you, you can't look at getting the maximum amount of money in. You want to maximize the amount of money you net. And that's a different thing than getting the maximum amount of money because... You have to figure out what it costs for storage. Well, once you figure what it costs for storage on a lot of this stuff, I do a couple of antique malls, and sometimes the rent doesn't cover the cost of the booth. At that point, you're better off giving the stuff away. Sometimes the amount you pay to have that booth, booth. is more expensive than what you sell during that month. Well, yeah. Right. So... At that point, you have to start thinking realistically yeah, yeah. and go, 
this is not productive. So, you know, you're better off giving this stuff away. Yeah, because you're not losing money. You're not losing money. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. so, like, I, I go to the thrift shops and give them large quantities of stuff sometimes. Yeah, it's worth money. But it's not worth enough money to... To pay the storage for it. To pay the storage for it. Right. Yeah. Okay, so that's a good message. Have fun. Have fun? Well, uh, this, was a, this was a lot of fun. Good. Good. Thank you, Marvin. All right. Thank you. I'll be speaking with Marvin Post, who is the proprietor of Attic Books in London, Ontario, Canada. Thanks again. Okay. Thank you. All right. And if you have any further questions, as you can tell, I don't mind yakking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's, that, what's your website address? Atticbooks.ca. Okay. Uh, that's the easiest way to get a hold of you, I guess. But yeah. 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 Great. Okay. Thanks yeah. again. Or my staff. Or your staff. Yeah. That's right. The organized people. Yeah, the organized people. <laughs> okay. <laughs>